Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad that I've got Jeff Redorn in the studio. We're going to continue our Bible Bible series. We're at 401 today, so if you've been following along, we started at 101, and now we're already at 401, and he is with me today. He's a friend, a Bible teacher, and mentor, and I'm so glad that we are friends. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. So I understand is today your uh, 30th wedding anniversary. It is. is. 30 years. 30 years today. Who gets married on a Tuesday? Um, well, it wasn't a Tuesday. Oh, okay. I'm all confused. 19, you know what day it was? <laughs> what? It was game six of the World Series where Kirby Puckett hit the home run to send it into the seventh game. Yeah. And we had a small TV behind the bar. We had a group from Atlanta, <laughs> my wife's relatives from Atlanta, and a whole room full of people from Minnesota. And half the wedding, you know, <laughs> audience was surrounding this bar watching this 12-inch TV behind the bar. So. Yeah. Oh, that's very funny. But uh, I would really like uh, to just thank my wife. Uh, she is wonderful inside and out. She is a beautiful lady. I'm thankful to God every day for such a wonderful woman that he brought into my life. So to Julie, happy anniversary. I love you very much. Sweet. I hope she's listening. Yeah, I, she usually does. <laughs> oh, good, good. Good. So we're already up to 401. So I'm excited as to what we're going to learn today. If you have been following this series, we wanted to do Bible basics, but course, when it comes to Jeff Redorn, nothing is that basic. And uh, we're already at 401. So we're going to talk uh, today, Jeff, you've got a chart, and I use that word carefully, but we're able to embed the chart into the podcast so people can just go online and download it right off the podcast when it becomes available. Good. So this is, uh, this is a chart that is one of the charts, just a little background on this chart. So I started a class uh, called Seven Scriptures You Need to Know by Heart, and it was seven themes from the New Testament using seven individual scriptures. And then I created these charts, kind of subtopics around that that one passage. And so today we're going to do in Bible 401 here, so this is kind of the senior level class of the Bible, we're going to walk through some of the concepts that I have put in this chart that I've taught on the Word of God. So the, the scripture is, and we've, over the other sessions of this uh, Bible series, we've used actually used this a number of times, but it's 2 Timothy 3.16, which says this, All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, so that and training in righteousness, so the man of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if you can picture this chart, that verse kind of goes across it, and we're going to talk about some of the subtopics that we see in this passage. So, I think one of the first things, we, we've already done this in the last couple of, in 101 and 201, all Scripture is God-breathed. So first off, in the upper left-hand corner of my chart is this idea that the Word of God is God's Word. What a concept. And we spent some time talking about the internal and external evidences, that nothing in the Scripture has, uh, has ever been disproven by history and archaeology and science and so on. It's a reliable document about history, about events, and so on. So we can trust it. So we spent a lot of our, our time in 101 and 201 
describing that we can trust the word. Last time we talked about some of the hermeneutic principles that we need to evaluate the word of God in context, looking at what was the original intent of the author. We want to understand it. It's natural or plain sense. Uh, and I, I read this quote, uh, if the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense. Otherwise, you'll end up with nonsense, right? So we can understand that we take a, a literalistic view of Scripture, knowing that there's figurative language, metaphors, similes, parables, and so on. But for the most part, the Bible says what it means and, and means what it says. And so when we, we talked about one example, when Balaam's donkey talked, I believe Balaam's donkey actually talked. When Jesus turned water into wine, I think he literally turned water into wine. And when he rose from the grave, he rose from the grave. These are the plain, simple meaning of text is that these things happen. And and then the last thing is that God will teach you. So, So this word is from God. His word also has some characteristics that are talked about throughout Scripture. So... It's talked about as being sharper than any two-edged sword. And actually, last time I asked you the question, have you ever handled a two-edged broadsword? It's very difficult to do anything with it, to defend yourself with it if you're not trained in how to use it. So just like a big, giant broadsword that most people don't know how to use, so too Scripture is like a sword, and we need to be trained on how we use it. So that's one of our big themes today, by the way. But it says that the word of God is from God. It is true. It is trustworthy. Psalm 119. It is flawless. It stands forever. It's perfect. And there's one aspect of God's word that we haven't touched on, and that is it's by the power of God's word. Scripture says he created all things by his word. And by that same word, he says he's going to judge this world, bring his wrath on the world. And in fact, the picture in Revelation 19, if you remember Jesus coming back, what comes out of his mouth as he's riding on that white horse to tread the winepress? The sword of the Spirit. The sword, yes. Yeah, the sword. In which he strikes down the nations and treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. And then, of course, there's the millennial reign of Christ, and he makes a new heaven and new earth by his powerful word. I love that picture of do you remember when Jesus was arrested in the garden and he says, we're looking for, the, they ask him, we're looking for this Jesus guy. And he says, remember what he says? He says, I am. Now in the NIV, he says, I am he. He probably just said, I am. Mm-hmm. His covenant name of God. Remember, it's the same name that when Moses asked God at the burning bush, who should I say sent me? And he says, say that I am sent me. That, that's Jesus' answer. I am. Wow. And with that word, it's like this... <laughs> You know, all the army, there was probably a couple hundred men there to arrest Jesus that mm-hmm. night, and they all fall over backwards yeah. at that word. It's like, ah, the word of God, very powerful. little overkill on the arrest, wouldn't you say? Yeah. <laughs> they had, I don't, I have heard estimates that there was probably up to 200 people there. Yeah. So, yeah, for one man. Yeah. All right. So what do we do with this word that's true and trustworthy and, and reliable? Well, 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, you are to study or be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who correctly handles the word of truth. That verse, I can just tell you personally, that verse, before I teach almost every time, these words come to my mind, Lord, help me correctly handle your word. And it says to study, to be diligent. 
I know everybody wants the answers, and I know studying is hard, and we don't like to do it, but that's precisely what God calls us to do. This word study in the Greek has, has Greek words have a voice and have a tense and have a mood, and this is in the active imperative, which means you are to do it, and it's an imperative. You're supposed to you're supposed to get up, do it, study, get your word, get your nose into God's word, and start studying God's word. Be diligent to do it. You know, Jeff, that verse is also helpful if you host a daily radio show. <laughs> it is. Yes, it is. I mean, every day you you want to correctly handle the oh, word. Oh, do I ever? Yeah. So I I feel anxiety about that. So I pray every day that I can correctly handle the word of truth. And I know there's going to be times that there will be issues, right? Yeah, how do you, uh, you know, you have guests on and sometimes they'll say stuff and you you may not think, well, I, I don't know about that. And it's it's always a kind of a, a trade-off between uh, how much do you bring into play versus how much do you let your guests speak and so on. It, it, you, what you do here is not easy. So I, I, I've, well, the folks out there need to understand that you actually got a hard job. I'm the, I'm the gatekeeper because I, I don't want to have heresy come through the microphones. I also want to give my guests a platform on which to share their perspective. And I trust that my listeners will take what they hear and measure it against the Word of God themselves. Yeah. And there's your balance. And that is precisely what everyone should do. In fact, a little later, I was going to get to Acts 17, and there's this great scene where Paul is describing. Uh, the Bereans. And he says, the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Well, if the Bereans are commended by God for searching the scriptures and testing what Paul taught, right? well, then every single Christian should test every single teaching. So don't rely on on Bill and his show and himself or your pastor or your denomination or anything else to 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 help you determine what is truth consistent with God's word and what is not. God commends the Bereans to search the scriptures every day to see if what Paul says is true. And I think every single Christian should take that admonition to heart and say, hey, I just heard a great teaching. Teaching, Let's go to the word of God and make sure it's consistent with what I study. So, And Jeff, I don't know if I said that with said this with you, but when the Bereans measured what they heard, against what scriptures taught, they didn't go home and have their personal copy of the Bible. They met in community because they didn't have their personal copies of the Bible. Good point. Yeah, there was no printing press yet, so no. they met in small groups and in homes. And, and discussed, and yeah. were in community. And it's that, a beautiful thing. And it is, and that's kind of what you do here. Here's your little community, and that's that's why we do Bible studies. I was just talking to a guy, and he wanted to know how to to get into his faith more. So we had lunch, and... He's one of the things that I, I recommended to him is find a small group. I have a couple small groups that I, I have, and they are my anchors. They are my anchors during the week. If you haven't noticed, the world has lots of distractions, and we can get distracted very easily, right? And so I use my small groups to come back together, to get our noses into the Word of God, to discuss what we're reading and what we're learning, to hold our, each other accountable and I call my group the uh, the Iron Man group. As iron sharpens iron, so one man's faith sharpens another. And it's, I tell you, it's been an anchor in my life for a couple decades now. Yeah, so. yeah. Let me take a short break. 
Jeff Dorn is my guest. We're continue, continuing our Bible Bible series. We're in 401, so we're kind of the, your senior year. We're going on to graduate school after that. We'll be right back in just a minute. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. for Jeffrey Dorn. He's my guest today. We're talking about our Bible Bible study. We're at 401, which is we kind of think of the senior year. <laughs> We're covering a whole bunch of great uh, topics and verses. And Jeff, we're off to a good start. Where do we pick up? Well, we're not going to have our senior slide here today. Oh, good. We're going to yeah stay into it. So, so we're talking about the concept of studying the Word. Study, present yourself as one approved, a workman who correctly handles the Word. But there's lots of verses that tell us to do just that. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, Acts 2. Train yourself in these truths, 1 Timothy 4. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, 1 Timothy 4. This is one that I like. You know, every Christian should be a theologian to really understand the precepts, the truths, the doctrines of God's Word. And I don't think enough Christians think of themselves as true studiers, as true you know, uh, uh, seekers of doctrine. Uh, Hide your word. I love this passage, hiding his word in your heart that I might not sin against you, right? So we are to eat it. His words came and I did eat them. Just as your physical body needs physical food to stay strong and to grow, so our spirit needs spiritual food to grow. And that food is always described in the word as the word of God. So his words came and I did eat them. My necessary food, this bread from heaven, this is this is his word that we And they were the joy and rejoicing of my life. Hmm. They are. You know when I first started studying scripture, I just there were times hours and hours on end and, and the Lord if you get your nose in the word and you start studying the Lord I just remember the Lord would just jump off the pages at me. You know, it's like these these truths would would uh, just pop out, and I just I couldn't get enough for so long, and and I still love to study and to understand His Word properly. Um, so He will meet you. You you set yourself to study God's Word, and He He will meet you right there. So, um, so we study. One of the reasons that we study is not only to know Him, know His truth, know His doctrine, know the Lord better, but so that we are not misled. So. First uh, Corinthians 15 says, do not be misled. Hebrews 13 says, do not be carried away with all kinds of strange teaching. Don't be infants who are tossed back and forth and to and fro from, from waves and every wind of teaching and, and doctrine. Um, you know, I, I learned this a long time ago, and it's a perfect analogy for God's word and his truth. Secret service agents who deal with counterfeit currency 
I understand that the first thing they start learning and studying is real currency. They study everything about it, the paper, the ink, the security threads, the, all the security features that are in it. And once you study the real thing, it's easier to spot the counterfeit, right? And I think God's word is the same way. Mm-hmm. Satan comes masquerading as an angel of light. He's always got some truth with a little lie thrown in. And I think his masquerading as an angel of light, he, he doesn't masquerade as light very well when you really know the truth. And the more truth we know, the easier it is for us to spot the counterfeit. The next topic is the sanctifying power of the word. You know, I, I just quoted this line from Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart. My, I remember my son, my all my kids went to Christian schools, and the first passage that they memorized, they were always required to memorize passages all throughout their, their uh, schooling, uh, was this passage, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I remember we were talking about this with a friend, and he said, you know, well, why? Why do you have the kids memorize, Pat? Well, you know, what's value is that? And I went to my oldest son, Jacob, and I said, Jacob, what's the first verse you ever memorized? And he said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Wow. I thought, oh, what a perfect answer. That's why we hide God's word in our hearts. The word of God has a sanctifying power. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word, Psalm 119. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The word has the divine power to demolish strongholds in our lives, 2 Corinthians 10. We've been cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. Our knowledge of the truth leads to godliness, Titus 1, 1 says. And I love that line from Psalm 119 again. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So his word, when we take it in, will transform us, sanctify us, and guide our way as we walk in this world. Cool. Love it, yeah. So that's the sanctifying power. So now we have a equipped, knowledgeable, studying Christian who's been sanctified by his word, and he's not going to be misled. And now what do we do with it? So the passage, remember, we're looking at is all Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, correcting, and rebuking, and training in righteousness. So we have to look at how we now use the Word in our everyday life as we come across others. So I'm going to divide the world into two groups of people. We have saved people and we have lost people. So for lost people, I think it's pretty clear how we use our understanding of God's Word. Um, We preach the gospel. They need the true gospel to be preached to them so that they might be saved. So we teach people and proclaim Jesus and we proclaim the resurrection of the dead. Uh, Acts 5 says they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Philemon says that we should be active in sharing our faith with others. We should let our conversation be full of grace season so that we're equipped to give an answer to everyone who asks, and we should make the most of every opportunity. So when you know that the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the power unto God to salvation to everyone who believes, why why wouldn't we share this with everybody that we know that's not saved so that they may hear it 
and by hearing it, believing it, and by believing it, be saved. I mean, it's just, it's that, it shows up. In fact, I've done a study of Acts before, and, you know, there's seven great speeches in Acts, right? Peter in, in Acts chapter 2, and, and Paul before Festus, and when he's brought before him in, in, for his trial, and, and so on. There's seven great speeches in Acts. You know what's at the heart of each one of those great speeches in Acts? Is the Paul at, at Mars Hill in Athens. Um, every one of those speeches has one common denominator, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each one of those speeches says that this Christ who came from heaven died on a cross and rose again, and that is the gospel. So the early church understood that what do you preach to the people who are lost? You preach the gospel because they need to hear it in order to believe it, um, and by believing, they would be saved. So that's the message that the world needs to hear. And, and you know, everybody that you run into uh, you know, I'm kind of an amateur apologist as well. I mean, I love to study kind of the reasons, the barriers that people have to believing in the gospel. And there are many, and there's many approaches. I think your last guest was just on talking about some of the approaches to to uh, sharing uh, God's truth and the truth of Jesus Christ with people. And um, I, I think the best way, the best approach is the one that you use. I remember I was, yeah. re- I was I remember reading a story, and there was a bunch of uh, missions pastors around a conference table at a missions conference of some sort, and they went around, and it was a, a famous church. Now, I forget which church. It might have been John MacArthur's church in, out in California, and the missions pastor from MacArthur's church, it came to his turn on, what is your mission approach? How do you evangelize people? What's your approach at your church to evangelizing? And his answer was, we evangelize. And everybody kind of laughed and, and said, ah, okay, now give us your whole, you know, methodology for sharing the gospel. He goes, no, no, really, that's it. We evangelize. That's what we do. <laughs> so whatever it is, if you want to give friends to your neighbor, preach the gospel, always be prepared. Just whichever method works for you, whichever method, I would add one more thing. However, if you, when you're having a conversation with someone, as you are led by the Spirit to to share, well, then just follow that prompting. And there is no wrong way to share Christ. So, Amen. So that's the lost. By the way, the lost also have other truth claims that are coming their way. And this comes from false prophets. So Scripture says that there's false prophets among the people, just as there's false teachers among you. So we'll talk about the false teachers in a minute. But there's a number of false gospels out there that uh, deny that Jesus is the Christ, 1 John 2, 2. They do not acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh, 2 John 1, 17. And they're just, they're false gospels. And these of these gospels, the Word of God uh, basically says, many gosp- false prophets have gone out into the world. They oppose the truth. They're men of depraved wise. They're liars. Uh, God doesn't have a lot of good things to say about those who will preach uh, false gospels. And says they he says, Paul says, let them... Be eternally condemned, Galatians 1.9. Hmm. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're continuing our uh, Foundations of the Bible study. We're in 401. And we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with lots more. How do we do it here at Faith Radio? Uh, well, we don't, not without you and not without the Lord. 
But we are so grateful for your giving. And if you want to make a year-end gift, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back. So glad to have Jeff Dorn with me in studio, my friend, uh, Bible teacher, mentor, all-around great guy. Great teacher, by the way. If you've missed any of this, you're going to want to go to the very beginning, and you can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. The podcast will be available for you after 6 o'clock. You can pass it on to a friend who might be trying to grow in their faith and understand more about God's Word. And I've got some great listeners, Jeff. My wingman, Terry, sent over this text regarding the church in Berea that Paul started. Is the best compliment that can be applied is that there is no book of Bereans? (laughs) (laughs) That is... That is, you know, most of the letters to the different churches were written to correct false teaching. So that's actually a very clever comment. I, I like that comment a lot. I'd mm. never thought of that. Yes, that is. That's That would be a great compliment to the Bereans that there's no book named after them. I like that. That's <laughs> very too. good. That And that actually leads right into th- this kind of this next topic. Well, wh- how do we deal with false teachers and false teaching within the church? Because they are trying to influence other believers. So we're going to turn from the lost. We, we get that we need to preach the gospel and get them saved. But there's also these, these younger Christians out there, these folks who are new in the faith. There are plenty of false teachings out there that are trying to influence them. And in addition, you've got passages like 2 Timothy 4, which says, A time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itchy ears want to hear. Uh, there is no shortage. Maybe we need to do a whole show on this sometime of all of these false teachings that are in the church. I mean, they're just all over, but let's just talk about it in general, shall we? Mm-hmm. So Paul says in Acts 20, and this is a little longer passage. I normally don't read a passage this long. It's about eight, eight verses here. But in Acts 20, he gives this warning. And I wanted to read it. He says, now I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me of prison and hardship. However, I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. Paul knows that it's coming to an end here. Verse 25, now I know that none of you among who have gone out about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. He was a teacher, right? He studied the word and proclaimed it, and he he never hesitated to give the whole will of God to, to the folks that he was with. Keep watch over yourself and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. Uh, uh, at which he brought with which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, so here's the the point. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in amongst you, and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise to distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. Isn't that a sober warning? Oh yeah, that these men amongst themselves will rise up 
to draw disciples after themselves. If you, I mean, you, you know, there's this, this little, these little red flags. Do you ever get these little red flags in your mind when you're hearing a teaching or someone speaking or something? Listen to those because I think that's the spirit helping us. It's like, I get wait red a flags when I'm speaking. No, <laughs> I hope not. But these are the Sabbath. Am, am I saying that right? Yeah, well, we always want to handle it correctly, right? right? Yeah, exactly. So, but no, you. I don't get. I never get red flags that you build ever. So you want to you want to watch out as the church for these folks that will arise, and don't be naive. They are out there. You know, there's a lot. Some who say, "Oh, we don't want to call out anybody. We don't want to name names or call out false teachings. We just need to just all get along in some way, shape, or form." What we're going to see is no. God actually says, "Call these people out." Call their teaching false. Warn the flock of these people. Uh, Paul says in Titus that these people must be silenced. I mean, Paul takes his doctrine seriously. So when men arise to distort the truth, we need to call them out, to challenge them and and correct them and rebuke them and to silence them because they are called savage wolves in Scripture. So some of the generic teachings of uh, that are, are false teachings, what it's called, in Scripture are things like the yeast, the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, for example, in Matthew 16. Paul calls some uh, of these teachings fine-sounding arguments or hollow and deceptive philosophies in Colossians 2. Uh, He calls them false doctrines and myths and endless genealogies or controversies. They promote controversies, things taught by demons, 1 Timothy uh, says, um, opposing idea, which is falsely called knowledge in 1 Timothy 6, destructive heresies and and so on. And men will come to try to draw people away after themselves, and I would even say to enrich themselves. They think that godliness is a, is a means to financial gain, if you remember that warning to Timothy that Paul gives as well. And so, you know, they're out there, and they are teaching false stuff, and we, I think, should never cease to to be listening to teachings that we're listening to and to challenge and to call out when things are are false. So this is this is the false disciples. It says godless men have slipped in amongst you. There was false teachers amongst you and later times people will abandon the faith. Hypocritical liars will come to sear the consciousness. If anyone has false doctrine they are conceited and understand nothing. Watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way. Uh, such people are not serving Christ, but their own appetites. False teachers are out there. You know, we read in, in, in Acts 20 that if you are an overseer of the flock, if you're a pastor, if you are an elder in a church, you know, what, is, what are the primary responsibilities of being a shepherd over a flock? Number one is to feed the flock, Right? and care for them, but also to protect the flock from what? Savage wolves who want to come and destroy. So if you are an overseer of a church, a pastor, I think you need to focus on two main tasks, feeding the flock and protecting the flock. And protection of that flock is always from these false teachers, these savage wolves that come in amongst you. Mm. So maybe we should just take a moment to let all the pastors who are listening know how much we love you and care about you and thank you and appreciate you and just think you're the greatest. Yeah, you know, my pastor uh, comes to my mind often, and I often hear him talk about uh, many of the emails that he gets from 
people. And uh, I know that, uh, you know, when something is wrong, expect some emails, pastors. But when you're teaching truth and you're spot on and people are complaining or nitpicking or doing whatever, you know, one of the admonitions in Scripture is to encourage one another and build each other up. So I think uh, congregants should be spending a lot more time in prayer for their pastors. And instead of sending those condemning emails, maybe send an encouraging email every once in a while. Amen? Amen to that. All right. Where are we? Contend. So so here's one. here's the picture, I think. We have in Scripture these concepts of fighting the good fight of faith. Well, what's the good fight of faith? I think it's this fight this battle over truth amongst believers, guarding the flock from false teachers, from the savage wolves, building each other up, you know, teaching sound doctrine to one another. So Paul says, for example, in 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, be prepared in season and out, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Refute those that oppose sound doctrine, rebuke them sharply, contend for the faith, Jude one three, I think that's what this contending for the faith looks like. And how do we do it? We do it with truth. Remember this fight that we're in? Paul says we're in this battle. We're in this fight. I think the fight generally that we're in is for truth. And we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, as our primary weapon in this fight. So we have to, if we're going to use that sword and we're going to contend for the faith and fight the good fight of faith, what do we have to, what, how do we prepare for that fight? And the only way I know how to prepare for that fight is to study the Word of God and to know it. Set it to memory. Study it. Uh, outline chapters. Underline your, your Bible. I remember a story that a Bible teacher that I was listening to went to their first Bible study, first ever Bible study, and when they arrived, the guest and the host and the teacher had this Bible, and it was written all over it, and some pages were kind of torn and ripped together, and it looked kind of dirty, and And the, this commentator remembered commenting or thinking in their head, boy, this person doesn't respect their Bible very much. <laughs> because, you know, their Bible was at home, you know, on the coffee table, yeah. opened up to the Psalms and pristine, right? Yeah. That's how you treat the Word of God. And it's like, no, I am so pleased that I have writing on, I think, every page of my Bible. And this is the Bible that I, I remember I got it new, and um, I had it on my lap, and I was studying it, and my oldest son was a child, probably less than one years old, and he grabbed the corner of my Bible and ripped out about 30 pages worth of corners off of it. And to this day, I still have tape lines where those corners were ripped out by my, my son. Did and you tape I, them back on? I did. I taped yeah. them back on, and they're right here. I never want to give up this Bible. I thought about getting a new Bible, and no, I'm, I'm never going to do it. I have too many notes, too many memories, too many, too many hours in this, in this book right here. It's really how you help uh, learn it, because you can think of notes that you've written on certain pages. You may not recall... Passage, but you recall your handwriting on that page, which will lead you to the passage. Exactly. There's some brain images when you put so many notes in a Bible. You, and you know what I have found? It's fascinating that you say that because I have found as I've gotten more um, electronic 
in my studies. Yeah. Because I can never remember where a passage. That's why I need my I bring my notes, all the verses that I want to talk about in a in a day. Because I can never remember where it is. And you know, it's oh, it's okay. Paul said that. I think it's in Colossians or maybe Philippians or whatever. But I've started using my phone and the Bible apps and my computer a lot more than I did ten years ago. And that is exactly what I've noticed lately. I no longer have the page image and my notes on the page to prompt me and to remind me. And to, right. Uh, it, it's, I have noticed that. Yeah. And it, it's caused me to want to go back more to the paper and flipping pages back and forth than just scrolling through on my phone or on my computer. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other topic. But when you go to church and you have your iPad, uh, should we be using uh, books, Bibles uh, in church, or does an iPad or a phone just give us the license to be distracted? Uh, <laughs> Well, you never check any text messages no, when you're at church, right? No, but I'm, but I'm different. Yeah. So does your church even have uh, Bibles in the pews anymore? Yes. It does? Yes. Yeah, see, mine doesn't. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we use it electronically. And, you know, to be honest, one of the tools that I uh, use often is um, a, a lexicon, a Greek word or Hebrew word, so I can look up the Hebrew words. Well, I remember having the books in front of me, and you'd need a Bible. It'd have the Strong's number on it, so you'd have to look up the Strong's number, get the number, go to then the dictionary, look up the Hebrew or the Greek word, and you know, it was, it was a kind of a laborious process to look up the Greek word. Now, with apps like Blue Letter Bible or whatever, you you can get to the Greek word or Hebrew word with a click, with a touch. And it's it is it's amazing tools that you have. But you're right. There is something about the physical page and all my notes that are on them that are that I, I do miss. And I've actually been thinking about that a little bit of saying, hey, I, I think I need to get back to my printed pages. Yeah, so I can see my notes in my Bible. And I know that my notes will lead me to the passage I'm looking for. Yep. And, I, and I, I can't tell you how many little lists I have or cross-references. Like, So when you read a passage about you know, some topic, I'll have put a little cross-reference verse in it, and it will prompt me to go to that verse and read that. I don't have that on my electronic versions of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, All right, Jeff, let's take one more short break. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're continuing our foundation study of the Bible. We call it Bible Bible. We're in 401, so we're in our senior year with lots more to come. We'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. I am loving this study with my friend Jeff Redorn, who's also a fantastic Bible teacher and mentor of mine and friend and all-around great guy who's celebrating his 30th wedding anniversary Mm -hmm. today. Great. Are you taking Julia out for dinner? What are the plans? We are. We're going out to dinner tonight. And, you can uh, let her order whatever she wants? Yeah. I, I Actually, <laughs> I know what she's a big salmon fan, so I nice. actually know she's going to order salmon at the restaurant we're going to. Nice. Um, so, yeah. we And then we have a little trip planned uh, very shortly, so we couldn't do it on our anniversary day, but we have a, a trip planned here shortly, and we'll get away for a few days as well. Someplace nice. a little warm. Nice. So, Yeah. Isn't it just, you know, these special days are a good time to reflect on 
how God has truly blessed you. Birthdays and anniversaries. Yeah. Very special. I'm a blessed man. Yes, you are. All right. So um, let's talk about being a disciple. So Jesus' last words, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. What is his admonition? It's to go and make disciples. Well, what is a disciple? In the Greek, the Greek word disciple really means a student, a pupil, a disciple, someone who is a learner. It's kind of like being a Padawan, being an apprentice. And hopefully you have somebody in your life, uh, a good friend of mine says, every single Christian should have in their life a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. A Paul, someone who's more mature, who can disciple you and teach you God's ways. Everybody should have this Barnabas in their life, this encourager in their life. And everybody should have a Timothy, someone who's younger in the faith that they can pour into. So Paul says to Timothy, what you have learned, entrust to reliable men that they may teach others. So one of the reasons that we study is not only for our own edification, not only for our own spiritual growth and our own sanctification, but also to share this truth with others, to build up others in the truths of God's Word. So we are supposed to pass these things on. So every single one of us should have someone in our lives that's feeding into us, and we should have people in our lives that we are feeding into that is what being a disciple is all about, entrusting these things to other reliable men. We should all be students, students of, of God's Word. Aren't we called learners? Isn't that what disciples are? Exactly. Yeah. We are learners. So if we're learners, then, you know, I always think of those apprentice programs, right? I mean, I think that's why Jesus took 12 men and spent, um, you know, his life with them. He poured into them for his entire ministry teaching them his ways. And, uh, I mean, that's what I see in my own small groups and people in my life that uh, that are studied and learned and have been pouring into my life for, for decades, and then other people that I meet with that I want to pour into their lives and to teach them uh, God's Word. And uh, that's, that's the, the church looks really good when it's doing that, doesn't it? It really does. So we should all be disciples and have that Paul, that Barnabas, and that Timothy in our lives. And that's why every single one of us should have those anchors in our lives, that group of people that are like-minded, that you can commit to studying your Word. And if you know, look, what does it take to lead a small group, to lead a Bible study in a small group? Remember, who is the best teacher of God's Word? This was one of our principles that we talked about last time uh, I was on, and that is God through His Holy Spirit. In my group, we don't use any materials. We don't use any books. We don't. We stick to the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And we say, okay, now we're going to study Acts. This week, Acts chapter 1. Let's somebody read it. Let's discuss it. Let's talk about it. How does God speak to you? Next week, let's read Acts chapter 2, then Acts chapter 3, and so on. So get your word in the, get your nose into the Word and study God's Word. He will speak to you and teach you. And have Scripture interpret Scripture. 
And have that's exactly right. So one of the things, you know, look, there's lots of tools that we can use. Um, I think a lot of Christians, we talked about this last time as well, turn to the commentaries and the books. They want the answer right away, and, and that's exactly where they turn to instead of God's Word. There's tools that you can use to study God's Word. So one of the things I like to do is make charts and make lists. As I come across passages on a certain topic, uh, I write them down, and I make a, start making a list and say, hey, these are all these passages on salvation. These are all the passages on assurance of salvation. This is all these passages on God's grace and what God's grace is like. These, these are all the passages about how we handle the Word of God. That's what this chart is as relates to the Word of God and false teachers and false prophets and, you know, studying the Word and, and so on. And that way we understand what God has to say everywhere in His Word about a certain topic. And that's not easy. That takes some study. Uh, you have to be familiar with, uh, with you know, God's Word and, and, uh, and use some of these tools and so on. The other tools that I've used in the past, there's actually a ministry called Precept Ministries, and they're, they have a very neat approach to studying the Bible. And one of the things that they like to have their students do, and one of the first Bible, serious Bible studies that I took was a Precept Ministry class, is to use colored pens to mark your Bible in a particular way. Um, so I developed my own kind of marking system and went through the Bible from start to finish a couple times, marking the Bible with my colored pens in a particular way. So, for example, um, uh, faith and believe and heart were all little red hearts. So every time I came across the word faith or believe or trust in the Lord, I put a little red heart. Every time I went to uh, read about Israel or Jacob or, you know, the, the history of Israel. I put a little orange star. I mean, it, you probably have listeners going, what? Who is this world has time to do that? You know, all it does is slow you down. It makes you, really forces you to analyze the text that much more and to really take it in. Another approach is to make outlines of every chapter. Make an outline of the chapter. What are the main points? What are the subpoints? And make an outline so you really understand it. It's there's many tools. You can pick and choose the tools that you want. But and there are sometimes it's just appropriate just to read and absorb because never forget. This is the word of God, but this is God's word to you. He has written this to you because He loves you. He wants you to grow in your faith. He wants you to understand his ways and his promises. I know we've talked about this a number of times. I think most Christians get into trouble with their faith and feel distant from God because they don't understand well enough his nature, his character, or his promises on what he's promised and what he hasn't promised while we're in this world. And the better we know him, the better we can live by faith, because after all, he says, the righteous shall live by faith. His word's a lamp to our feet. Guys, study it, use it, put it to memory, put it into your heart, hide it in your heart. And even when you learn a story well, like you learn the book of Jonah, and explain that book to me, and if you spend enough time studying it, and you can get to the part where you can communicate what's in it to somebody, and in the course of 15 minutes, kind of explain the book of Jonah, you're really getting to know God's Word if you can turn around and explain it. You know, that 
I was uh, deciding several years ago whether or not I was going to be a biblical worldview teacher at uh, a Christian high school in town. And my kids were there, and I was going to volunteer and do this biblical worldview class. I was like, oh, should I do it? It's a lot of commitment and and so on. And I, I got a fortune cookie. <laughs> okay. So it, you, 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 you got a whole bunch of people. Right that, here. You, you got a whole bunch. I know it. I'm, I'm telling you what happened. This is what happened. I'm telling you my story. All right. right. And can God speak through a cookie? He can do whatever yeah, he wants. He can. And you know what it said? I, and I had been praying, and my wife and I had just spent 30 minutes talking and going back pros and cons and so on. Should I do it? Should I not? And I crack open this cookie, and it says, to teach is to learn twice. Wow. And I looked at it, and I turned to my wife, and I and she just smiled at me. And do you know what? I I ended up saying yes and deciding to be a biblical worldview teacher because of uh, it's just like, all right, I'm going to do it. And I still have that little thing in my wallet to this day. Wow. And when you teach... You really have to learn it first in order to share it with somebody else. So if you really want to understand something, teach it. Yeah. My last fortune cookie was you are about to eat a small sugar cookie, <laughs> which was not entirely true because I only ate half of it. You only ate half yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. I can never do the whole thing. Mine said have another. <laughs> Jeff, thanks. It's been fun. We're looking forward now to our, our graduate level. Master's uh, level will be our next time together. Absolutely. I think I'm thinking I'm going to do the essentials of the Christian faith, of the Word of God, the essential doctrines of the Word. Perfect. Look forward to that. Jeff Redorn's been my guest. That's all the time we have for today. I've sure loved this time with you. Thank you for um, uh, being with me. If you missed any of it, please go to the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. I know you'll enjoy hearing Jeff's talk from the beginning. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.